Welcome to the new episode of Quarter Quest, Comics on the Cheap. Can I ask you a question before we begin? Have you ever wanted to have your own podcast? If so, we'd like to recommend Podbean. We've been using it for the last three years, and we love it. It's easy to use, and the customer support is amazing. Just go to podbean.com and enter the code HAUNTEDLOG at checkout and get your first month of podcasting for free. That's podbean.com, Haunted Log. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Hunting Timothy Books of Magic podcast, where the guys from It's Too Wordy podcast, Nick and Ryan, go over the Books of Magic, Volume 2, issue by issue, uh, in-depth look. Uh, I'm Ryan. And I'm Nick. And today we are starting off with Books of Magic, number one, Volume 2, and we'll talk a little bit about the... Uh, writer and the artist, and then we'll get into the book. This came out in 1994, which for me is like, when when did this come out? Because this is <laughs> yeah. this is zero hour time, right? This, yes, it is. This is a time where I was like, what the hell is Vertigo? What Sandman? Who the hell is Sandman? Like, I was just like. Yay, there's new superheroes, there's a new Manhunter, there's a new Doctor Fate, there's a new Green Lantern. Yeah, this was completely off the path of those superheroes. It took it into a different realm. It's so different than the other books that DC was putting out. So, like, I was not into Vertigo books at that time. I just wanted to see bad guys get their butt kicked. Yep. I did not expect... 10 years later, maybe six years later than when it came out to really start enjoying this book. I got into it at the end of the, when it was finishing up. Right. And I, and I was just looking for something new. And I think we had at the store, we had like about the first 15, maybe 20 in a, in a book, like a, in a a set. So Mm -hmm. I picked those up. And I've loved this book ever since. I mean, it, it puts to shame almost everything that came out in 1994. I would agree. Uh, for me, you know, I started off actually, I was not a Vertigo guy either. Um, and how I got into Vertigo was somebody recommended Fables to me. So I checked out Fables. I'm like, love this. What else does Vertigo have? And I went over to Books of Magic. And... I have been enjoying it. I still haven't finished the whole run, um, but I've I've read these books over and over and over again, and it still stands really well. I think mm-hmm. it's a solid book, and to have a art team or a creative team on this book as long as they were on this book is, in some form, form amazing. You know, nowadays you see six, seven or six, seven issues and they rotate to the next writer or the next artist. And with this, they, it was a solid team for a prolonged period of time. And I think that really helped that book carry forward. 
Yeah. All right. Should we go ahead and go on about, we'll start off with the rider. Yeah. Cool. So the original mini series was done by Neil Gaiman and with books of magic volume two, that was taken over by John Nay Reber, who actually started doing comic book work by finishing some pages on a script for a book called Tell Me Dark. And uh, they were working with DC to get that into an 80-page hardcover graphic novel. And he started doing that to help out his friend and mentor, Carl Edward Wagner. While that book was in production, he also started doing a book called Shadow Falls, which was a four-issue prestige miniseries for the Disney company or Disney comics. However, before it got published, Disney comics collapsed and the editor in chief of Touchmark, Art Young went back over to DC and offered everyone that he was working with uh, developing developmental projects to continue their work. So they actually were using vertigo imprint and they released that Tell Me Dark book through DC, or excuse me, said the wrong one, Shadow Falls book through DC's Vertigo imprint, opposed to where it was at with Disney originally. He then was offered the job on the Books of Magic miniseries with Neil Gaiman, and actually took over the second series, opposed to that first series. So he did issue one through issue 50. So from May of 94 to July of 98, including various annuals, specials, and some spinoffs. Uh, then he moved over to Marvel and was working on Project or uh, Captain Marvel, or excuse me, Captain America in the Marvel Knights imprint. He was supposed to write two Captain America miniseries out of continuity, which was Ice, which was announced in February 2002 with the artist uh, Jay Lee, and they integrated into the main min, or main series in the third arc of Captain America. They had all sorts of delays doing that series, and there was a lot of controversy as well from the very beginning. According to Macon, Reber had to back out of writing the bridged miniseries due to the 9-11 attacks, and supposedly to rewrite whatever material he had, had to reflect on the event. And the first arc titled The New Deal had Captain America questioning the Americans, American government, a topic that had resonated worldwide with the press. And then the second arc, The Extremist, he was supposed to start that second arc, and then he left the book halfway through that arc, only finishing three issues of the five. And that's kind of where he left off at. Some of his earlier work was uh, Tell Me Dark. He did some Ray Bradbury comics. With Marvel, he did Wolverine, The Killing. He did Captain America, like I was talking about there. With Vertigo, he did the Books of Magic. Uh, he did the Hellblazer book, Books of Fairy, Hellblazer, the Books of Magic, uh, which is a crossover two-part series, a book called Death Death After Death. He did a Trenchcoat Brigade uh, series, Books of Fairy, Molly's Story. So everything that was really tied into that uh, Books of Magic series that kind of spun off of it, he was in charge of all those. Uh, he also did a Sandman Mystery Theater, Sleep of Reason, Issues one through five, and they worked with Neil Gaiman on Wheel of Worlds, and did a Tomb Raider uh, compendium, and they did a lot of GI Joe stuff as well, and uh, that's kind of where it leaves off with him. No showing of any awards or anything like that. 
it's kind of weird because he's one of those writers I felt that he'd probably be picked up and used because his ideas were so impactful in the books of magic. I mean, he, Neil Gaiman gave him some groundwork, but he kind of went the full architecture on it and built him into the character that he turns into going forward. And uh, you just don't see that a lot with his other writings, unfortunately. So it's crazy, right? So last week I had that 15 minute talk about Neil Gaiman and this time you got the 15 minute talk about <laughs> yours. And this week I have a two minute discussion about Gary Amaro. Uh, Gary Amaro um, seems to be a very close to the vest type of guy. Like there's, there's not a lot about him out there that I can find. He is a professor at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco, California. So if you really like his artwork, you can probably take a class and he can teach you how to draw. So that's pretty awesome. Like I said, there's not a lot about him. He he worked on Sandman, Gotham Central, Books of Magic, of, of course. Um, he does a lot of video game concept art. He did Dark Spore, The Godfather 2, and Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. There's there's not a lot. I mean, there's he's he has a wiki page that doesn't have anything on it. He's got a DC <laughs> wiki page that doesn't have anything on it. There, he maybe he just doesn't want his private stuff put out there. You know, like yeah, but, he did Gotham yeah. Central too. Um, so yeah, he's been around. He just doesn't seem to have an online profile so much, which is cool. I mean, if you can do it, do it. I mean, oh, absolutely. Nowadays, especially he's got a Twitter and a LinkedIn, but I wasn't going to stalk him to to find out stuff about him. So, yeah, you know, the I nice mean, thing about him, though, I mean, from what you're saying is the books he did are very well um, acclaimed books. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gotham Central is picking up steam again. It's not being published any longer, but because of Brubaker and him, fantastic stories. Books of Magic, fantastic stories. I mean, Sandman, fantastic stories. So he clearly was choosing very carefully what he wanted to work on and knew what kind of value there might, I would think, knew what kind of value there would be being attached to those books. Yep. Pretty smart. Like, he's not just going to put his name to garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Some guys are just like, I'm doing it for the money. He's like, "Uh, maybe he's just doing it for the art. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, he's a professor, so... I mean, he just did this kill some time at some point. I don't know. <laughs> right. Summer vacation. Yeah. <laughs> There's 120 days of summer vacation. Let me do smart. Sorry. My daughter is watching a lot of Phineas and Ferb. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love Phineas and Ferb. All right. Well, I guess that would take us into the book, right? Yep. It's... This is a deep book. Yeah. I didn't feel like it transitions really well from that miniseries into this. No, like that's probably why it fits best. If you read this first. Yeah. Um, and I know last episode we talked a little bit about Tim's dad and there wasn't a lot about his dad there. You know, he had that phone call because he was supposedly in Brighton visiting his aunt, but while he was in New York, but his dad seemed like he was at least somewhat, aware of the facts that he was given Mm -hmm. where in this 
this is how you see his dad throughout the series is just sitting a there. Yeah. Doesn't really pay attention to anything. Yeah. yeah. Watching TV doing, you know, that's all he does. Doesn't really have a, a relationship with his son at all. And you feel that on that very first page where good night, dad. I said, good night. Oh yeah. Just forget about me. I don't exist. You know? Right. I didn't realize no you were response. here. Yeah. yeah. He's making that conversation up because his dad's not even responding to him. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that gives you a different side of Tim too, because again, you don't see that in that miniseries. So they're redeveloping this character just a little bit, starting with this new series. I don't have much to say about the journal part. He's doing a journal about magic. Mm -hmm. Not a lot there to really cover. Where it starts getting into some of the meat and potatoes of this book is on page three, where you see a guy walking in this desert landscape, picking... He like broke off a branch of a tree um, and putting it in a little bag and picking up the sand that he's surrounded by and putting it in a bag as well. And he's getting summoned to the palace by the queen. And a would you say this is a knight per se, maybe? Yeah, I would say it's a, like a knight. So this knight uh, shows up saying that he is required back at the castle to see the queen. and saying that, um, and they actually called this guy that's wandering, putting this stuff in this bag, the Falconer. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, she's going to even be more angry soon. And the Falconer turns around with some sand in his hand after he gets cut by this knight and whips it into this knight's eyes. And the knight's saying, you know, falls down, I'm blind, you blinded me. And the Falconer's like, yeah, I know, that was the point. (laughs) (laughs) And he, you know, just basically cry it out. You'll be fine. You'll be no uh, blinder than you have been your whole life is what he says as he's walking away. And as he's marching forward, the Falcon, his pet Falcon has the bag of sand in that twig that was, um, that he was putting together and the Falcon lands. I don't think that's his, I think that is him. Is that him? Did transform into it? Yeah. He's the Falcon. Oh, you're right. I missed that transition. Yeah, he, that's why there's good catch. No, yeah, because there's that one panel. Yeah, you're going to be blind like the rest of your life. And then all of a sudden, this Falcon. Good mm-hmm. gravy. Um, so he lands, he drops the sand in this stick. And all of a sudden, this big sandstorm starts blowing up. And he goes into the castle and addresses the Queen Titania, saying that he brought her a gift. And um, she's like, I don't care what you're talking about. You're very tedious. I don't want to deal with you, which is weird considering <laughs> she's the one that called him in. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah. So he, he leads her to the balcony and he's like, I have a gift for you. And she's like, what kind of gift? You know, I don't see your gift. And he's like, just have patience and you'll see it. Mm-hmm. And he becomes the Falcon again and flies off. And she kind of blinks and then her eyes go really wide because she knows that he corrupted the world of fairy and now it is starting to decay Yeah, and they're all dead. He pretty much killed all of them. Yeah. That storm's just taking over. And then it hops over to the Falcon 
Falconer flying and landing outside of Tim's window and watching Tim. And he's kind of having this inner monologue of how Tim's being viewed. You know, he's sheltered there. He's never had a fear. What have you ever loved and fought for and won or lost? You've been seeing how sheltered Tim is. And yeah, then what, uh, what can you know of courage if all you've done is like skateboard around town and yeah, stuff like I, that? But he's a teenager. I mean, right. I don't know too many teacher, teenagers that are aware of all that. And Tim, he, does have, he does have a very weird discussion about a snow angel. Yeah. It, well, yeah, to himself. To himself. It, you can see that Tim's kind of a loner. He, not, he doesn't have a lot of friends. And he is having a snow discussion to a actual snow angel <laughs> that he runs across. And that's something that kind of continues throughout the series as well, is Tim's having conversations to himself all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of how he deals with things, I think. And as he's looking in the window of a pet shop, the falconer's falcon, or the falconer falcon, um, lands right next to him. And Tim starts talking to him, not knowing it's an actual person. Oh, he does. He he knows who it is. He's uh, He says, oh, it's you. Where are when your did he nets? meet him before? Where are your nets and your creepo sidekicks? Apparently he met him in Ferry. He, he, did he not meet Tamlin in issue three of the miniseries? That's what I'm trying to remember. Is because I remember he met the witch and the goblin. I don't remember him showing up there, though. But I, I could be blanking on that. Right. So it's such a small passage, even that he could have done that. Right. So yeah, he he knows who he is. So it's possible that he met him in issue three when he went to fairy. Yeah, that's very true. And this is where he, John. Uh, Ryber could have just grabbed that and ran with it. And like I said, it was such a small piece that I might've missed it. True. Wow. So yeah, the, the Falconer, he takes off, he leaves and yeah. Tim's left alone. And he's like, well, you could have just told me what you wanted. You know, right. You came all this way. You could have just said something. And Falconer or Tamlin shows back up and completely naked in the middle of London, in the <laughs> middle of a snowstorm. Right. And, um, I always kind of forget this is taking place in London. I always picture New York for some reason. Well, we're so used to New York. Yeah. And so they're walking through the park and they run across a homeless individual called Kenny. And the Falconer's asking, hey, do you have something warm I can wear? And he's like, no, I don't have anything um, that can't be lending. The world is hungry, Tam. And you've been away for a long time. So this homeless guy clearly knows who he is as well and is talking to him as an acquaintance and Tim's just kind of looking around spacing out. He does see end up handing over some clothes for uh, Tam to wear. And he goes, I've had enough of this snow. Can I, can we get a respite from the weather? And Tam goes, uh, you need to ask Tim, he's a magician. And Tim's like, wait, what, what did you say? Tim's like, well, the magic's in you and the magic responds to need, not your need alone anyone's and then there's that weird reference to shirley mcclain well it is 94 yes and she does have that uh what was it she kind of thinks she has those psychic abilities yes right 
And then Tam tells him, hey, you know, Kenny's really old. You wouldn't believe me at all if I told you how old he actually is. <laughs> he's mad as a March hare, but he's a good man, and he's cold. And Tim's looking at it. He's like, I just can't stop the snow. And Tim's like, well, how do you know? Have you tried? And t- you see effort from Tim trying to stop this snow. And it doesn't happen. And the snow keeps on picking up more and more. And all of a sudden, there's this one little spot that stops snowing on Kenny. And he's like, I, I just can't get the snow to stop. And Yeah, he says something like, uh, if I told you to get me some water, would you fetch a river? Um, no, you, you would use a cup. So don't try to stop the whole thing. Pretty much just try to stop a little bit of it, you know, right. Start small, start small. Then Kenny gives Sam a hat. There's a gun involved in the hat and they're like, well, I guess we're done here. And Tim's like, well, you didn't even tell him goodbye. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter. Come with me now. And as they're walking, they're having a conversation of being dumped off in a weird desert somewhere and then flew off. Oh, okay. Yep. I remember that now in issue three. And now you're turning up and giving me, you know, he's just saying, why are you showing up? When you show up, bad things tend to happen (laughs) to me. Mm -hmm. And Tim's like, I really don't have a whole lot of time to explain it here and now, but I've come seeking your help. And Tim's like, well, why? Well, fairy's dying, which you're like, well, okay, but you're the reason it is dying. Yeah. Uh And would you call that character a little sprite? There's a little sprite character over a lamp watching this whole conversation, or I guess it's fairy. Mm-hmm. I would, I would say Sprite because um, Tamlin's a fairy. And, yeah. See, that's kind of what I was. And Kenny's a fairy and Titania. So I, I would say Sprite more because yeah, the Amadon is a creepy little dude. Mm-hmm. Creepy little dude. He, yeah. You know, you have these pictures of, cute little fairies, you know, um, girls have them decorating their rooms or things like that. And in reality, fairies are very mean spirited creatures. Yeah. And they still, they still children. They're, yeah. they're evil little jerks. So he's telling them more about fairy and the Sprite comes down and says, you are the master of the understatement, sweet Tamlin. Uh, the place looks very l- much like hell. And um, he, the fair sprite lands on Tim. And Tamlin's like, hold on, Tim, don't move quickly. And t- the sprite, Amanda, is that what, how did you say it? Amanda? Amadon, thank you. It speaks up and says, you're interrupting me, Tamlin. That's a div- grave discourtesy to a messenger. And the risk of dis- discomfiting you, I must insist that you accompany me to ferry. And he starts, has his hand around Tim's neck and swearing that he'll tear him shreds. And yeah, he's Tim's, got giant claw fingers. Oh, and he's yeah. Drawing some blood on his neck. And Tim's begging for help. And uh, Tamlin goes, okay, fine. Release the boy. Let him go free. And by Oak and Ash and Thorn, I will return with you, the fairy, uh, surrendering to your mistress. And he basically tells Tim, make the most out of your life, you know. You have this power, use it, and find the truth. And um, Tamlin goes away. And as Tamlin disappears, Tim's like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? You're in trouble. Kenny comes up and uh, goes, don't worry too much about your father. He's always been in trouble and he always will be. 
it's in the blood, but then I expect you to know that by now. And Tim's like, wait, what? And it ends with father, my father. So the dad that you see at the very beginning that is aloft and just kind of spacing off and watching television that Tim has such a problem with may not be his real dad. That Tamlin may be his real father. Mm-hmm. And now he's set to go out and find that information, find out if that's accurate. It could just be a trick or it could be the truth and he doesn't know. So, right. Better to look for the dad you don't know than the dad you have, apparently. Grass is always greener. Right. <laughs> you have a you have a guy that sits at home watching TV all day who doesn't even talk to you, or you have a guy that tried to kill you before. Right. Which one would you go after? That's issue one. Unlike most books that were coming out at the time. I don't know. What did you say? Like, uh, It's a good beginning. It's, it's set some groundwork for what's coming. I but, agree. I think it does sound some groundwork, but if this was 94, this is my first issue. I don't know if it did enough for me to keep reading it. Right. You know, I think we had the benefit that we started it uh, so much later that we had several issues that we could pick up and see how it goes and really get attached to it. Yeah. You know, truthfully, the one thing I do wish what I miss about comic books nowadays is they used to say, this happened here, mm-hmm. you know, kind of giving you that reference point. So even if it didn't happen in that particular book, that Spider-Man book or wherever, it would tell you what issue it happened in, in whatever other series. So if you wanted to go back to find that, you could go back and find that. And around this time that kind of died down, unfortunately. And I really wish they would go made some of those references back. And you know, like we mentioned last week, they're, they don't really reference that miniseries a ton in this, but I just got done reading that miniseries, and I still didn't remember Tamlin being in there until he dropped me in the desert. Oh, wait, oh yeah, I, I remember that now, you know, because it didn't impact me when I read it. Mm-hmm. I missed that in books like this, especially when you have the detail that you have in the books like this. Right. It would have been nice to be like, hey, remember Tamlin? You saw him in issue three. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, here's Tim's dad. You saw him in issue one. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. The dad didn't even make a whole big impact in the, as big as Tamlin did in that series. I I could tell you everything that his dad did, but Tamlin, I didn't remember it all. And I don't know if that's just because there's so much more going on in that issue three uh, with everything than that, that, particular part just didn't stand out to me i don't know yeah but i absolutely i've been looking at this cover and i love the cover of it three-fourths of it is just a bright vibrant it almost reminds me of a stained glass window and then you have this little square that's in black and white and tim sitting in bed reading and the only real color in it is the red light in his or the his glasses are in red shade of uh color and you can see like the sprites you know, sitting at the end of his bed watching him. This cover just grabs your attention. It's absolutely beautiful. Now, who did the cover for this? Because the problem with this era of DC is they don't do a lot of credits. No, they don't. Is it C. Voss, 95 or 93? Is that Charles Vess? That might be what it is. 
dated 93. And that's one thing Vertigo always had was their covers just always popped. The detail that was there, just amazing. So on page 11 is the people who made the book. 11! That's where they put the (laughs) title. But you know, a lot of the books of magic, they did that. You get halfway through the book and then here's the title of the page. It's like a little cold (laughs) open and then you get the, the main story. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't tell, say who the cover artist is here either. Didn't they do a gold, silver, and a standard cover on this? I don't know. Like I said last time, this is the only one I've ever seen. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's issue one. Can't wait to actually start getting into the story. I mean, this was, a, this was like a good little teaser for it, but it gets yeah. a lot more intricate and a lot more starts to happen to him. Yeah. I, I'm looking. You know, I was kind of dreading issue one to be honest, but I but I also knew what was coming. Right. So you, you know, it was easier to get through it. I just no issue one just never real clicked with me. Yeah. But after you get in a couple issues, you're like, oh well, where's this going next? We never described what Tim looks like. Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> so. He- He's what, about 12, 13? He's 12, yeah, uh, because the miniseries says he's 12 at that point. Skinny kid, glasses, dark mm-hmm. hair. Yeah. Uh, kind of disheveled clothes, because he, he's just he's a taking kid. taking care of himself. Parents, yeah, kid, parents don't care, or his dad doesn't care. He's taking care of himself, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how else could you really describe him? I mean, just a typical nerdy kid. Yeah, and, you know, I think, you know, we're going to point out some of the no, numerous Harry Potter um, references. The books of magic came out before Harry Potter, but the similarities is what I was trying to get at. Right. And when I said he looks like Harry Potter, I'm not kidding. The Tim Hunter has the rounded glasses. He's 12 years old, just like Harry. About the same height, I would imagine. Darker hair. The only thing that's different, he doesn't have the scar on his face. So if you, you need that two, visual. You put those two together in the same room and they would be the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Even on the cover where he's sitting in bed, mm-hmm. looks like it could easily be Harry Potter. Yeah. So. And I'm actually. His, yeah. I think I'm going to test this out. Um, I know somebody that is a massive Harry Potter fan. And once this, hopefully we can get done with the socially distancing thing at some point next time I see her, um, I'm certainly going to take a Books of Magic comic with Tim on the front <laughs> of it and see what she says. Yeah. Who's this? Harry Potter? Oh. Yeah. Because, I mean, the similarities between the way they look are very similar. Yes. Very, very similar. Especially after... I think the first like uh, couple chapters of this, he starts to really look a mm-hmm. lot like Potter, or Potter starts or looks a lot like him, probably right. around ninety five. Yep. So, and that means Harry Potter looks like John Bolton's oldest son. Hey, that's <laughs> true. Awesome. Next week issue, issue two. two. Yeah, and we already covered. I don't think the writing team. Art team has changed at all, so it stays the same. Yep. All right. So we'll move forward with that. Cool. Awesome. All right, man. Um, Yeah, this was easy.
because we only have like five characters in this book. Yeah. So it we'll, gets a lot of challenge, more challenging as we go. It's but, uh, not quite the miniseries. No. Oh, boy. But all right, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Cool. Sounds good. Talk cool. to you later. Yeah. Bye. Later.